In the last couple of weeks of our liturgical year, uh, we're down to two weeks left. This week and then the following week will be Christ the King Sunday, and then we'll be uh, into Advent. So our new year will start. And the end of these, these passages, the end of our uh, lectionary, at the end of this year, they tend to focus on uh, Jesus's, what they call his Olivet Discourse, which is just a fancy way of saying the, the discourse that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives, all, therefore Olivet Discourse, as he looks down on the city of Jerusalem. I see my friend Jack Kincaid back there. Jack took me over to the Mount of Olives, and I've actually stood with Jack, and, and I've been there looking down on the, 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 the Jerusalem city and particularly the, 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 the mount where the temple used to be. And, uh, and I've, I've been there, I've seen that, and I've seen the very place where Jesus would have spoken these prophetic words over, uh, over the temple and over Jerusalem. I think that the, the, the real focus of this, the gospel message today is that we are called to be faithful among adversity. We're to be faithful in the face of tumultuous times. Let me tell you a little bit about this temple that has uh, now been destroyed, waiting to be rebuilt. Remember, the first temple was built by Solomon uh, thousands of years beforehand. But then when, uh, the, when they were invaded by the Babylonians and carried off, the, the Babylonians destroyed the temple. And so there was no longer a temple left in, in Jerusalem and the people were taken off into captivity in Babylon. But after 70 years, God brings them back from Babylon and they, they make a meager temple. They, they have a kind of a, a poor man's temple that they erect. And, they, and, and the old people are crying because they remember the glory of, the, of the, the old temple. And the young people are excited because they've got a temple again. And it's a real powerful emotional part of the, the, the work of Ezra and Nehemiah. But then... Herod the Great comes to power, and uh, we can debate whether or not Herod was really great, but he comes to power, and he decides to renovate the temple in Jerusalem and make it a glorious place. If you've ever seen pictures of the Western Wall, or if you've ever been to Jerusalem and you know the Western Wall there, you know that, that what you see on TV, though it is massive, is simply the mound that the temple was erected on. So the, the temple went above all of that up into the sky to be seen from places like Mount of Olives and all places. And it was a glorious sight. We're told in John chapter 2 that it took 46 years to build the temple. Now just to put that in perspective, uh, this building that we're, we're sitting in right now, I'm standing, you're sitting, was, is, was built in 1978. So by my calculations, trying to redeem my math skills from last week, this building in 2020 will be 42 years old. So imagine if we were still waiting four years for, the, for this building to be completed. That's how long it took the temple to be built in Jerusalem, the second temple. Some of the... the some of the, the rocks that they were used, the boulders they were using, were larger than the, the altar we have here. More massive in size. Tremendous. I've been there. I've seen the ruins after the Romans pushed them down. It was massive. This is what Josephus, Josephus, if you don't know him, was a, a Jewish historian uh, that lived just after the time of Jesus and Paul. And this is what uh, Josephus says about the temple. 
The exterior of the building wanted nothing that could be astounded either by mind or eye. For being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from the solar rays. In other words, the reflection off of the sun was so bright that you had to avert your eyes because it was so bright. To, approach, to approaching strangers, Josephus says, it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad cloud, clad mountain for all that was not overlaid with gold was the purest of white. Imagine seeing this temple, this amazing uh, architectural wonder. It became the standard of architecture in the ancient world right up until, uh, until the time of Constantinople. It was a, it was a massive thing. And, and yet even as the disciples are walking along and they're admiring this temple 46 years in the making, Jesus begins to speak a word to them about the destruction of that temple. Jesus could be a real bummer sometimes, you know? Like, Jesus, we're, we're really focused on this great wonder. But, but I think he wanted to remind the disciples to be careful about putting our, our strength and our energy and our hope in things that can be destroyed. And so I ask, you know, where do we put our faith what do we do when our world comes crumbling down? When we hit hard times, really hard times. I mean, imagine. I mean, imagine the, 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 the work, the effort that went into this temple. The, the sense of reclaiming the former glory of King David's reign. And, and now Jesus is saying in just a few years, the temple is going to be destroyed. By the way, it was destroyed in 67 A.D., the Romans came in and they put down a couple of rebellions and eventually they decided to just raise the whole city and they, they, they tore it down. They destroyed it. Now, it's often confused because later on in Advent particularly, we'll talk a lot about the end times. And, and as we're celebrating the, the first Advent of Jesus, we're reminded to put our hopes in the second coming, the, the end of all times. But Jesus is not talking about the end times here. This is not about the end of days. This is about an immediate time. And obviously for the, for the Israelites hearing Jesus in, the, in, the, in his time, it was an immediate future that they were going to see this temple destroyed Jesus is not talking about in the end times there will be really hard things though he'll say that about that as well but for us it seems to me the takeaway is that is that there will come hard times in our days that suffering and tumultuous times will be a part of life and Jesus is saying but in the midst of that my people will be faithful to me even when things are falling down around them. Jesus doesn't stop there with his bad news. He continues to tell them. He says, well, let me just give you a few more things to add on here. Not only will the temple be destroyed in a few years, but there will be false prophets who will come and they will claim that I am the Messiah or this one will say that I am the Messiah. And Jesus says, be careful, don't go after them. Sadly, how many people have fallen victim to false prophets, false messiahs over the centuries? And yet Jesus tells us that they'll come. He also says in other places that, that no man knows the day or the hour when 
when Christ will come, when his second coming will be. So don't fixate on that. Rather, live in the time. Just to give you a little parenthetical uh, reminder, Thessalonians, the, the second lesson, I'm not going to talk much about it today, but the reason why uh, Rick had to read that scripture about if a man will not work, he will not eat, is because the Thessalonians were so fixed on the end time, they thought Jesus was about to return, and so they quit working. They were too spiritual to spend their energy doing regular work, you know. They, so they just left. They just left their jobs and expected other people to work so that they could be supported while they spiritual, these spiritual people prepared themselves for the return of Christ. Paul says, enough of this. Work. Don't fixate on the end, Jesus says. Rather be aware of the times and that this suffering is going to be a part of what goes on. He says there'll be rumors of wars. There'll be wars. It'll be tumultuous times. Will Durant, years ago, some of you know who Will Durant was, said that over the last 3,421 years, only 268 years of history have been without noted warfare. That's a really low number, isn't it? It's less than 10%. It's actually less than, less than 5%. It's like 2.5%. Again, I'm trying to re, re, recoup my, uh, my maths, my wrath reputation. But, I mean, war is a part of us. And, and even while we've lived in relatively peaceful times, think about not only the great wars we've had, the World War I and World War II, but Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq. I mean, other wars that have taken place. And, and so, I mean, war is a part of things. Jesus says it's going to be a part of that. There will be times we're living in a... In, in a, a, a crazy time right now where where for me to say talk about another school shooting almost is to be repetitive because it's come to be so common but, but isn't it comforting to know that Jesus was was aware of and prophetically spoke to these things understood the times and what we were going to have to go through catastrophes events of weather hurricanes and tornadoes and and uh, all sorts of, of events that, and we've seen, Jesus says these are a part of what's going to happen. This is not the end times. This is simply just the way of the world. And then even cosmic signs beside that, that that point to things. And then Jesus brings it really personally. He says, but let me get it to the personal level. Even you will be persecuted. Maybe even by members of your own family. Jesus says in Another place that, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I will divide the members of a person's family. Three against two or two against three. Now, Jesus is not saying we're to take up weapons and, and arm ourselves and attack our family members. But rather that because some will reject Jesus and some will believe in Christ and follow him, there will be divisions and it will cause hatred and resentment from those who reject Christ. That's why we pray for the persecuted church. We pray every week for those who are persecuted for their faith. We remember in our, our lectionary, those who've suffered, the Ugandan martyrs and, and, and others who've suffered for the gospel. We also pray for their persecutors. We pray that God would see the witness, that, they would, that the witness of those, those who are persecuted, those who are martyrs for the faith, would be so powerfully seared in the minds of their persecutors that they too would, would turn and proclaim Jesus. It happened. It's happened since the very early days. 
Uh, I think I've said before, there was a, they, 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 the church had to decide what to do with Roman soldiers who witnessed the martyrdom of Christians and confessed Christ as Lord, even as they were holding these, these Christian prisoners who were being executed. And then these Roman soldiers would then be killed, and they didn't have a chance to be baptized, so they began to talk about a red baptism, which was basically a baptism in your own blood. Jesus says, this is a part of it. There will be persecution. It will come against you. What are we to do when the world, our world, or the world seems to be falling down around us? We're to be faithful. What does Jesus say? He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness to me. There's just something powerful about witnessing in the midst of horrible circumstances and, and seeing the faithfulness of someone. I, I got inspired a little bit. Um, I'm not a Jaguar fan, but um, I don't know if you know this quarterback, Nick Foles. He, he, quarterbacked, he was the backup quarterback for the Eagles a few years ago, and he came in and led them to the Super Bowl and won, and he beat a really bad team, and I won't mention their names because they're too bad to be mentioned in the God's house. But your neighbor can tell you that name, but uh, I won't repeat it. But then Foles gets this big contract because he's the backup quarterback. He gets traded to the Jaguars, and he's, he's going to be, the, he's gonna be the, you know, the, the savior of the Jaguar team. And he comes in, and his first play or first drive for a touchdown, he throws his first touchdown pass, first quarter, first game of the season, he gets hit, and he breaks his left clavicle. I have no idea where the clavicle is. Is it up here? It's up here. Okay. He breaks his clavicle. He's out for the entire season. He's back this year. And, but in the meantime, he's a backup quarterback, and he's really popular, blah, blah, blah. And, and they basically are, are interviewing Nick Foles, and they're saying, well, we know you're a Christian, but, I mean, this was a really bad string of luck. You know, you, you come here, and then you get hurt the first game. And, and, and Foles basically just begins to share the gospel and begins to testify. He, he talks about the fact that he doesn't believe in a prosperity gospel. He says, that, that's the wrong gospel. The gospel is this, that, that tough, hard things will come into our lives, that there'll be suffering in our lives. It's how we act in those times to trust the Lord. And he goes on to say, I could raise the Lombardi trophy. That's what you get when you win the Super Bowl. I can, I, I can raise the Lombardi trophy with a smile on my face, knowing that I didn't have to have that to have my identity, to prove who I was, because my identity is in Christ. He said, when I came to Jacksonville, it's not what I wanted to happen, but I said to the Lord, and I actually wrote it down, he says, well, Lord, if this is the journey you have, I want to go with you, good or bad, and I will find joy even in my injury. I just love it, I mean, it's football. It's not like it's anything really important, but it, but it, but it so speaks to to the tendency we have to to not understand that 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 in this world we will have persecution and suffering and life will be hard. And Christ calls us to to not to not to not be overwhelmed when those things happen, but to recognize that God is calling His people to be faithful and that He wants you to turn it into an opportunity. To bear witness to him to the world. You see, it's much more impressive when we walk through really hard times 
and, and we're faithful. It, it, it says something to the world. It's why the church grows so oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in the face of persecution. Because there's something of the, about the way people are willing to suffer. One of my friends who's in the congregation likes to say, it's not that, that quoting a, a historian, says, it's not that Christians were willing to take up arms against other Christians but that they were, or, or others, but that they were willing to lay down their lives and, and refuse to take up weapons and to suffer for the name of Christ. It's a powerful witness. Sometimes I think we forget that. And, and in the congregation, we can, we can feel as if, you know, um, that we're not important. And, and maybe I think we're living in a time now, talk about tumultuous times, where, where not only are non-Christians not coming to church, but even Christians are falling away. We're, we're living in a day where people are becoming unchurched. We've even had a few of those within our own body. And it's, it's super sad because of the, where the culture is. And, but, but so much of our faith is strengthened as we come together, as we bear witness to each other, as we, as we learn to, to draw from each other's strengths. I, I look out and I see the people in this room and the people at the early service and I know some of the things that you've overcome. And the fact that you're here is, is an incredible blessing and a, and a witness to me. And you are to each other. Even among our little ones, I wanted to share Gail's grandson, Tommy. She told me this story last week. Tommy was, Tommy's full of energy, shall we say. That's putting a positive spin on it. And Tommy sits in here and, and he's listening sometimes when you don't think he's listening. And he heard me announce that Michael, Nikki's brother, electric, been electrocuted. And then within a week or so was revived and was, was, is now in rehab, Brooks Rehab up in Jacksonville, doing really well. And, and Tommy gets in the car with Gail and he says, man, I'm so glad that man that got electrocuted is better. I keep thinking about him. Little Tommy. I can't believe he, he was listening enough to hear me, right? And yet he heard it and it went into his heart and it became a witness to God's faithfulness. That's what we can do for one another as we, as we gather and we, we're strengthened from one another. I think Nick Foles gets it. It's what Paul talks about as the, 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 the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I rejoice that I can suffer with Christ. Yes, I will be resurrected with him. And Christ's own resurrection is, is the, that's the victory we were singing about in the psalm, that, that Christ will come again, that he will defeat all our enemies and that he will make all things right. He will bring about his perfect justice. But Paul says, I, I, I don't just look forward to that end. I also rejoice that I can suffer with Christ. Because like Foles is explaining, it's, that's, that's where we're called to be faithful amidst the adversity. The alternative is to become jaded. I don't know if you caught it, but that Malachi passage, just to really quickly to hit that Malachi. Malachi is, is, is prophesying that, that the people have begun to say to the Lord, you're an unjust God. You're, a, you're unfair and, and uh, you know, we're in vain do we worship you, they say. Because we see these wicked people out here and they 
do whatever they want. They ignore you. They, they spit in your face, God, and you let them go on. And God says, well, I have a book of remembrance. And um, there will come a time when those who serve God will be rewarded and those who curse God and refuse to serve him will be judged. And, uh, and, and then, then it'll be over. <laughs> but those, Malachi goes on to say, but those who serve the Lord, who call upon him, who trust in him, they will be raised up um, on the wings of the heavenly sun rays. It's, it's really interesting. It's the only place in Scripture that comes out. Uh, right there in chapter 4, it says, In that day the coming shall be set them ablaze, says the Lord. Um, but for you, verse 2, who fear my name, the son of righteousness. See, it's not S-O-N, that's S-U-N. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. See, it's interesting, the, the temple was so bright and glistening that people had to turn, its, turn their face away. But that's something that, that is going to fall apart. Just like football careers and everything else. But there will come a day, the Lord says, when the, the, literally the rays of the sun will come out like wings as that day approaches and God will raise up those who love and serve him with healing in its wings. Well, here's my problem, guys. I know God's judgment is going to come, but I'll, I don't know. It's not a big motivator for me to know that, that one day the, my enemies will be smitten, you know, that there'll be vengeance. For one thing, I don't, maybe I have not suffered enough or been persecuted enough, but I don't really, I don't really get a lot of joy in thinking about people being burned up or, or all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. I, I want to make sure that I'm not one of those who's judged. You see, the, 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 the scriptures bear witness that, that God's salvation does come through judgment. But Here's the good news that God has put his judgment upon his own son, Jesus Christ. And that Christ bore our judgment for sin and rebellion and wickedness on the cross of Calvary. So God's judgment is accomplished, but God's mercy is also released through his judgment. And that's the reason why we don't simply uh, live for a future judgment on God. We live for the fact that we know that we've been set right with God, that we've found peace within our own lives because of that which Christ has done for us. It's why Paul says we can endure the suffering of this world. It's why... Nick Foles can say whether I'm raising the Lombardi trophy or if I'm laying in a hospital room with a bro broken clavicle, I can rejoice in the, in the fellowship of the sufferings 
because I know the end of the story, but more importantly, I know my King, my God, who has brought me salvation. Faithfulness in the midst of adversity. We want to be like the, the widow, the, the widow with the mites. The, she only has the little bit of money and she puts it all in. She, she completely puts all of her trust in the Lord. She goes all in with Jesus and receives his pardon from judgment. Judgment has been removed. Now she can live in the light of the sun of righteousness with healing in its wings. Friends, we cannot, as Hebrews says, we cannot forsake meeting together. We must come and we must build one another up in faithfulness. That we be strengthened to go out and proclaim Christ, the Son of God, crucified and resurrected. This is the way God's church will always stand in the face of adversity. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.